Okay, can we have the next slide, please? And uh, as you can see here, mid-faith virus is on the rise <laughs> all over the country. Uh, not not just where it started in Worthing. Yeah, uh, if yeah, we can, it's getting serious. Yeah, it is. If we can have the next slide, please. Now, this is the same slide as before, but I've used brighter colours to make it seem more <laughs> dramatic. And if I can have the next slide, please. This, again, is the same, but I was angry, so it's largely black. I hope that helps. This, is, uh, this helps immensely. Is this sort of lockdown two? Yeah, exactly. So it was a lockdown <laughs> eve yesterday, wasn't it? It was and lockdown eve. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting older, but I just didn't get as excited about lockdown eve as I used to get. No, I'm not. So. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, it's not the same, but, you know. <laughs> it was all excited uh, at the first one. Yeah. Uh, the first one, yeah, when I was younger, yeah. lockdown was so exciting. Now you think, oh, well, you know, here we are again. Welcome everybody to episode 130, it's not 34 is it, oh. 134 here, episode 135 you didn't have to of the I said I'd got it wrong and you deliberately do that to demean me in front of the listener. <laughs> yeah and, and because if I didn't do that I might have done a proper intro and that would have ruined the, the, the golden streak that I'm on of... Uh, Useless intros. Episode 135 of the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast. My name is Nick Page. I'm joined, as ever, by Joe Davis. Hello. Well, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Here we are. Back in, lo back in lockdown we back are. Back in uh, lockdown, to, uh, yeah. Some of our transatlantic uh, listeners who might at this stage be wishing they were <laughs> in lockdown. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how they're feeling about life. But, yeah, we're back in lockdown here. Yeah, and we're recording on Thursday. We still don't know who the president is, but we might know soon. Anyway, we wish you all well. I, I don't overseas. know if, if the president will ever know he's the president, <laughs> given, given the candidates. Who knows? <laughs> it's true, anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Least said about that, the better, I think. Well, there's a lot of darkness, isn't there? There's a lot of, of dread, I think that's the yeah, word. There's a lot of dread about. Mm. And uh, we want to be an antidote to dread. We do. Yes. Yes. So, we want to bring hope wherever we go. <laughs> hope and stupidity are the two key words of our, of our work here. Speaking of stupidity, what time did you tell the listeners what time oh. you went swimming this week? Mr. I can't get up early to record a podcast. I... Mr. I don't do mornings. Well... So with lockdown coming, we're not mm -hmm. able to go swimming because obviously one of the decisions of the government is that anything you do to keep you healthy should be stopped during <laughs> lockdown. Obviously. I'm quite sure how this works. Uh, so we booked the time and the time, the only time really we could get that we could do was 6.40 in the morning. <laughs> I went swimming at 6.40. And that's, that's your time, isn't it? it? Is, You're yeah. up at that time. Yeah, I'm at the gym by then. Well, not anymore, but I was. <laughs> oh, it was awful. And I, I wondered why I was doing it because, not I knew why I was doing it theoretically because you know you could only get that time. But I thought, what was it that made me go? Yes, I will do that. 
And? And I, it, it must just have been some kind of rebellious moment against the whole lockdown thing, against going, <laughs> right, I don't care, I'm going to take control of my yeah. life and get up. Yeah. One small bit of control you have, you took it. <laughs> I don't and everybody says, everybody says, you go swimming in the morning, feel great for the rest of the day. Well, you feel morally virtuous, <laughs> yeah. I say. Don't feel you great, feel, though. <laughs> I, yes, exactly. I felt, I felt morally virtuous and physically completely <laughs> broken, actually. <laughs> So that'll teach uh, you. Won't be doing that again. No, uh, exactly. Anyway, how's things? How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm all right actually. Yeah, things are fairly quiet in my world. I'm, you know, they're ticking over nicely. I'm enjoying watching my grand puppy on Zoom and well, FaceTime. Okay. So that's exciting. Have, have you made any more cakes? Uh, have I made any more cakes? Uh, no. Well, surely you can remember. No, <laughs> I haven't. No, I had to think because obviously I make cakes so often. But no, I don't think I have. Um, <laughs> le- lemon drizzle cake is on the uh, cards for this Ooh, weekend. I do love a good lemon I, drizzle A good cake. lemon drizzle can't be beaten, can it? Or, before you start, though, Joe, have you... Have you worked out? Is Rachel going away again this weekend? No, she's not. She has she has to lock down with me, and thus, so keep... of course, <laughs> yeah, you're safe now. You can you can actually you'll be able to eat the actual cake. exactly. I can yeah. have my cake and eat it. Yeah, very good. Good. Yeah. Yes. I've never understood that phrase. No, have I really? And what is the point of having a cake if you're not going to eat it? I mean, exactly. What are you going to do? Put it on display? Exactly. It's ridiculous. It's weird. I know. Anyway, look, we don't want an alarmingly long podcast. And I know you've got things to say, haven't you? Well, one of the things about working with you Mm -hmm. that I think it find is so helpful Mm. is that once when I hear you give an opinion, I think, well, that's stupid. It pushes me to find out what the what the correct thing is. So I, that's why it's so useful working with idiots. Yeah, because it pushes you in the right direction. <laughs> I hope that I hope that builds you up. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> no, seriously. I think last week's discussion on uh, ex nihilo and all this kind of mm. stuff. Yeah, it pushed me to go back and think think things through a bit more and um, and reminded me of something. So I'll be coming on to this um, mm. later on. So we, we, this is really a follow-up episode to last week. Mm. Uh, yeah. And uh, then you've done an interview, haven't you? So uh, we'll yeah, be... Dr. Ruth. Well, not quite Dr. Ruth. Not yet. I mustn't call her doctor. I can only call her Reverend Ruth Newton. Yeah, a really wonderful human being. And um, yeah, we'll listen to that next week. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, so we are going to carry on the theme of creation in oh. varying forms over these uh, three episodes. We are going to discuss some stuff, and I've been thinking oh. about things, and I'm not sure I'm going to make a great job of explaining it. I have to be honest right now. <laughs> so what's new? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could get rather convoluted, and I could end up actually being as Californianly whiffly as you. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> so, listen, what I would want to say to any listener is... Um, Bear with us, but if you can't bear with us, get to the end. Get to the end, there's, there's going to be a lovely bit right at the yes, end. Yes, there which, is. There is. Which I hope will redeem the whole podcast. There's a special song at the yes. end. Yeah. yeah. We'll not from no us, more. I ought to say. Not from us, <laughs> no. but from somebody else. Yeah. Yes, I'm a very special to me. Yeah, great. <laughs> Shall we start? Are we on to it? Can I? Yep. Okay, go. So, first of all, from the lovely Matt in uh, Southampton, who says I'm a loyal listener in Southampton, started listening at episode one and then realised that with the pandemic, I might benefit from listening to how you're dealing with it. So I'm now listening to your latest episodes and in parallel, gradually catching up. That must be confusing. Mm. Mm. 
says, I love the podcast. and It's been incredibly helpful to me in my journey. Anyway, here's a bit you need to read out to Nick. Ready, Nick? Okay. Mm, go on, then. In episode 57, 16 minutes in, you say, we're using this thing called Zoom. So it's like Skype and you can see all nine of us. We're doing this group chat online. He says, he said, just crack me up. How times change. Gosh. Just thought it was hilarious as two years ago, I'd never heard of Zoom either. Nor had I suspect 98% of the world. Whereas now it's in danger of becoming such a household name that it'll lose its trademark like Hoover did. Yeah. I wonder what I was using it for, actually. Yeah. Anyway, yes, and now, and now, of course, we've gone completely the other end, and we're all sick of it. Yeah. Um, but there we are. Okay. Thank you, Matt. Matthew. Or Matt. Yeah. Yes, and and now Matt, but not that Matt. Ah. Yeah, I know. So I'm going to call him Matt Two. I think. Okay. Okay. So Matt Two. Hi, Joe and Nick. Thanks for another brilliant episode. I don't think it's the same. Now I'm confused. Anyway, mm. uh, I really enjoyed this one. Very thought-provoking. He says, the question of how God relates to the universe is an important one. Is he separate from it or is it all one? Because it will lead us to draw conclusions of what God is like. Nick, he says, Nick favours the idea of God being separate from the universe because it allows for the presence of evil while allowing God to remain good. I don't find this very convincing. To me, allowing evil is no better than doing evil. Joe pointed out that death has been part of the process by which we came to be here and that is something that could do with a lot more exploring. It's a fundamental assumption of traditional Christianity that the world was once perfect and then went wrong or fell. But the whole idea of a perfect Garden of Eden without death or pain becoming corrupted just doesn't stack up with what we know about evolution. Exactly. Uh, if we are made in God's image, then we got to that point after countless generations of beings living through harsh and brutal conditions and dying in pain. If God did look at what he had made and declare it good, then clearly God is a bit darker and more mysterious than we may usually imagine him. A lot of people can't cope with this idea. But what if some things we assume are a result of the fall and are in fact part of God's plan and so reflect his nature? Ultimately, if God is separate from creation or part of it, the only way we can know him or her and relate to them is through creation. The things around us and most particularly other people teach us about beauty, about love, about goodness. And we can only really know these things because sometimes we experience the opposite. Loss, pain, grief, anguish, hurt, far from being an aberration of God's will, seems to be an essential component of it. There's something to think about. Keep up the good work. Oh, yeah, thank go. you very much for that. Well, I, just one minor point. Is, is I didn't, I, I think I didn't say God was separate from the universe but i wanted to say distinct mm. which may sound like i'm really doing a kind of theological quibble with words but i think it's quite important uh you're going to say more about I, this in a minute aren't you i am yeah i, yeah, I don't want to okay, get into okay, that i mean okay. i think the other the other the rest of that email is very important mm. and the idea that there must be a there has to be a reason why evil yeah bad things is allowed i think it's very important for us to grapple with uh, and also the importance of what Matt, Matt, Matt was talking about there, yeah. uh, lost pain, grief, anguish, hurt. How does that work with love? So we're going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah well, I'm, I think I'm going to read about three more emails. I mean, because they all raise similar, slightly different, but very important okay. notes along that sort of theme. So I'm going to go to Dave next, who says, Dear Joe and Nick, the discussion in episode 134 of whether to worship the shrubbery was good, and I like much of what Joe said. It seems very plausible, yet retains much mystery, but I wish it offered more hope. If all life emerges from a singularity and eventually is gathered into God, my atoms recycled, then what happens to the conscious part of me? Sounds like I, Dave, cease to exist. Bit disappointing, really. 
My understanding is that biblical thinking about an afterlife develops and changes throughout the Old and New Testaments. I've listened to many people over the last year or two talk about how the kingdom of God is not about some place we go to when we die. Instead, it's about bringing about the kingdom of God here on earth now. Tom Wright says the Bible talks about an afterlife, but only as a set of signposts pointing into a fog. So I'm no longer certain of much these days. I tend to only have questions and few answers. But if all we can be confident of is that we'll return from whence we came and that all will be well, then that seems pretty disappointing and a bit of a letdown, really, if all being well means that my atoms are recycled and I will no longer be aware or conscious, then I have a different definition of well. Well sounds like dead. <laughs> He's got a point here, isn't he? <laughs> he says, both my kids have long uh, have lifelong health problems and I used to say to them that one day in heaven we'll all get new bodies and all of the hurt and sadness of the present will be gone. I don't think I can say that anymore. I have no reassurance that all will be well. And if all we have is now, then some people have been dealt a very raw deal which seems terribly unjust if there is no hope of today's problems being fixed in the future. I think some of this might be easier to accept if I hadn't come from a conservative evangelical background. Moving from a faith which offered a certain and reassuring hope, a destination, etc., to a faith that's more contemplative and uncertain is a difficult adjustment. No one said it would be easy, though. I hope this makes sense and hasn't come across as a miserable moan. It's not meant to be. It's just some of the thoughts that bounce around my head these days. Lockdown gave me too much thinking time. And he says, and this is the most disturbing part of the whole email, Nick mm. was right about the cycling. Oh, yeah. Mm, thanks very much for the podcast. And it's it's the cycling's getting really exciting in Spain as well, because in the uh, Vuelta, mm -hmm. like the Vuelta at Spania, we've got a Brit in second place. A guy called Hugh Carthy. It's very exciting. That's oh, good. Yeah. So back on that. Well, um, well, I I like you. Uh, I think I'd, I, I don't... and I like you. No, no, I don't mean I like no. you. I mean no, I, like, I, you I like you. Picking up on points beforehand. I think I want to say when I, when I talked about the physical reality of what happens to me, I wasn't necessarily talking about the conscious part of what happens to me. I mean, I right. I, I you know I think that. What the incarnation teaches is that spirit and matter go together. You know, they belong together. They spirit is incarnate in matter. But I'm not saying spirit doesn't exist necessarily without matter. Does that make sense? I don't know. Well, I think this is something we've um, differed on or discussed before. We haven't really oh. differed on it, but we've had different different um, sort of perspectives on it. And I can't remember for the life of me which episode we did it. In. There's another problem with doing so many oh. episodes. Um, we have talked about the new, new, the idea of the new earth, you know, mm. and and to me, I know that's very important. The physicality mm. of it is going to be very, very important. So I, yeah. I, I do have a big hope in that, and and I agree really with what um, Dave, was it Dave was saying about you know, mm. I don't like the idea of just being sort of ethereal atoms kind of stuff, even you know, bodies. Yeah. I like, I like. The physicality. Oh no, yeah, of life. sure. No, I can see that seems more hopeful on yes. the surface. I'm going to say more about that after we come back to okay, great. after this next email from Debbie. Okay, Debbie Lang, who is at Renovari course with me. Lovely lady. Anyway, uh, she says this. Hi, Joe and Nick. I've been listening, but too busy to respond. However, worshipping the shrubbery has drawn me to respond, as it probably <laughs> has many others. Simply, I love the idea, Celtic or not, that all came from the divine, much better than Mark Twain's short story, The Mysterious Stranger, which ends with life being nothing but a vagrant, useless, homeless thought. It says, mm. yet I didn't quite follow all the complications that followed. Complications? Us? Surely not. 
How hard it is to trust that God divine has all that makes creation within God's self and gives from that abundance what is needed for rocks, stars, shrubbery, humans, etc. Just because a rock has some divine atoms within it, this does not mean it has all God's atoms, metaphorically speaking, of course. A child has genes from both parents, yet the child is not the parent. Am I missing something? I also think God divine has given certain configurations of atoms the ability to make choices. Thanks to you both, Debbie. Yeah, I've shortened it. Thank you, Debbie. Yeah, uh, great. To yeah, hear. I, I'm really. I agree with that. I'm really going to pick up on that. Yeah, I think I agree with that as well. I mean, it's you know, we did try and talk about it. So I'm not going to go and try and explain it again about the ship in the sea and not all of the sea is in the ship, but all of the ship is in the sea. And so we are in God, but we do not represent the fullness of God. That's what I was trying. We just not go there again, eh? Well, I did you just have. Well, no, but you know, like I'm not going to try and explain it any more than that. But no, here's here's the only thing that, you know, I really trust. And this is responding to the email before as well a little bit is the Bible metaphor in John's gospel is about abiding in Christ. And that sense that that is the eternal destiny, if you want, the abiding in God. So whatever happens to my atoms and I and, you know, I think that's quite fanciful and fun to talk about as fun as these things can be. Uh, but <laughs> I'm beginning to doubt that. Yeah, yeah, well, it doesn't really matter at all. <laughs> you know, I kind of wanted to put a disclaimer at the front end of this whole conversation that you know it's really great to talk about these things. But let's not forget the goal of all of this is to become more Christ-like. I mean, if mm, it, and if that mm. if it doesn't result in that, you know, kind of what's the point? But I I sort of see this is my simple trust. Maybe there's a new heaven and earth. Maybe I'll get a new body, which would be fabulous because this one is starting to wear out. Um, mm. I like all those ideas. But I put my trust in, not that. I put my trust in that I will forever be abiding in God, in Christ. And, you know, that that is itself a metaphor, but I, I feel like it it's slightly more than a metaphor. That one perhaps could be a bit more literal. Um, mm. But we're, you know, I will ceaselessly be abiding in God. And I don't know, you know, I, I just don't know. Who does know how how much of that will, I will still be recognisably Joe Davis or how much not? I hope I will be. And I hope we can continue these conversations for all eternity because we'll understand. Mm. But if not, all will be well. Well, no, you see, that I, I think that's right. On one level, a lot of the podcasts and what, what we teach about or what we talk about mm. is... How can we, as individuals, be more Christ-like here and now? What difference yeah. does it make here and now? Sometimes it's quite fun, though, isn't it, to speculate about this yes. thing? Origen, the fourth uh, century, third century um, church father, he said, he said, sort of moral discipline. Discussing sort of moral discipline is is like bread. It's like dull. It's a bit dull, but it's necessary for nourishment. <laughs> but he said, yeah. but he said, speculation is like wine. It doesn't really give you a, it doesn't really give you a lot of nourishment, but it gives you a lot of enjoyment <laughs> and exhilaration. And I think that's really helpful. Ah, <laughs> uh, gladly Lewis wine. That's good. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> okay. So more wine. More wine. And listen, let's just round this little section off with one more email from Belinda, who says, "Hi, Joe Nick. This morning's podcast touched on something that puzzles and disturbs me. I love nature and often sense the divine most easily outdoors." But all, not all nature is beautiful sunsets, sea views and magnificent trees. Nature can be cruel, frightening and violent. I'm left wondering how is a loving God possibly reflected 
in the sinking sand that swallows animals or humans that stray into it, the dreaded insects that bore into human tissue with devastating results, the mosquitoes that spread malaria. If you find God in the beautiful bits of nature, what do you do with the violent, macabre and terrifying bits? Mm. I don't think we can cherry pick. Uh, so is God sustaining all those horrifying parts of nature and flowing through them too, being reflected through them or have those parts of nature turned bad somehow, gone to the dark side, as it were? If so, how and when did or does that happen? Also, since nature is fundamentally predatory and violent, it begs the question, did God have to make it that way, choose to make it like that? Or again, is evil at play? These questions genuinely concern me. Well, and that that sort of gets to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? It, it does, really. That's really where I was last week. It yeah. was, yeah. If you want to say that God's in everything, then what do you do with this problem mm. of evil and cancer? And, you, you know, just has something gone wrong? You know, and, and the traditional way of explaining that would be the fall and sin and all that stuff. Or has it always been part of the plan? Mm. Um and I think that's where, I, where I, what was troubling me last week, what I was trying to think mm. through last week. I think we do have a kind of post... Well, really, this our view of nature and creation has been formed post the sort of romantic era, romanticism, where, where basically life got a little bit better, housing got a little bit better, and so people sort of appreciated mm. the outside, where cities grew up. If you look at it before then, mm. people didn't view nature that way. You know, no. very early on, people had two views of animals. One, is it going to eat me? Yeah. Or two, can I eat it? And <laughs> yeah. that's fundamentally how you responded to nature. Then it right. moves on a bit, and you get the biblical idea of ma nature being grand and magnificent, but also quite scary. Mm. And the biblical idea of a good good life is lived in a city because outside yeah. everything was cold and miserable and there were <laughs> full of things trying to eat you. And yeah. you know, yeah. But we've reversed that, and we, we're like the air... Heirs of Attenborough now, we kind of like look at nature and <laughs> say it's either a soap opera with animals yeah. trying to escape from one another or it's, um, you know, yeah. it's all beautiful and mystical. But it's it's not. It's it's quite harsh. You know, we've anthropomorphised mm. it, I think, to yeah. some extent. Yeah. I, I, so, so everything, all I'm trying to say is, you know, our culture, our, our history defines, in a sense, how we view nature. And I think sometimes we get it, we, you know, we miss out on that other stuff. I, I think nature can be cool and brutal and hard yeah i agree and i think that's what the blue planet series that um as heirs of attenborough we are uh brought home to us wasn't it you know on the one hand you you get the spectacle and the marvel and the the, the wonder and the intricacy of the ecosystem but the ecosystem does re does require larger animals to be brutal to smaller animals yes yes yeah and so you know how do you square that kind of whole business of God being lovely and look at the lovely animals he made mm. that they can be brutally murdered by mm. killer whales and <laughs> so we're, we're left yeah. with these two things aren't yeah. we we're left with the idea that that uh, firstly well a number of things we're left with the idea that creation is was created out of God and God is everywhere mm. uh, so how does that work we're left with the idea of God is love how is creation an act of love when so much of it seems mm quite hard the other way and 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 i think that's what i've been trying to sort of think through and i think maybe part of the key here is what we understand by the word love okay yes go on then what is love as st howard of jones once asked <laughs> um yeah indeed and what's love got to do with it 
Yes. Uh, I think is another verse in the Bible. I can't remember who said that. Tina maybe. of Avila. Uh, or, yeah, yeah, okay. or was it Turner? <laughs> Tina of Turner, St. Tina of Turner. Um, <laughs> so so we, if you just think about love as a nice sort of romantic feeling or, or, or wanting to sort of nothing bad to happen to people, yeah. I don't know if that's love in a way. I think love mm-hmm. is about wanting the person to to be the person or wanting the creation to be a proper creation, wanting... Um, you know, it, it it's really important that love is about f- f- giving us freedom as well. Mm. Uh, it reminded me of a book that I read a long time ago, which is a wonderful book. It's called The Christ-Like God oh, by, yes. yeah. by a guy called John V. Taylor. Yes. It's not the Bradley Jersey. I think it was a Bradley no, Jersey. No, no. It's not him. Yeah. It's John V. Taylor version. Yeah. It was written in the ni- yeah. 90s, early 90s. Brilliant. Incredible book. Mm. And in Chapter 7, I think of that, he... He says the the essence of any love that is more than sentiment is an ardent will that the other should be and a disinterested delight in the other's being there. Mm. So, so, so do you see what I mean? The fundamental to mm. God's love is that, is that we exist, that, he, yeah. that all of creation existed and, yeah. and goes on existing and that, it's, yeah. that it is growing and understanding and, and, and responding to him out of its own free will. Out of, yes. You know. And so the idea that he puts forward in that is that basically um, you have to have a bit, some way in which crea- the whole of creation is free from God's control in that sense. That is mm-hmm. actually quite a risky proposition. A risky enterprise, yeah. Yeah, for God to yeah. put this forward because there's always the possibility that it's going to go wrong. Does that make sense? Is that making sense? So well, it, and it does. No, it doesn't make sense. It reminds me of that essay by William Platcher, you know, Narratives of a Vulnerable God. You know, God does not define himself as power. God defi- is defined by love. Mm. And if you love, it implies vulnerability. And if, it, and if you are vulnerable, you will get hurt. So that whole business, and I'm sure we've mentioned this before on the podcast, of Moses going up the uh, mountain and has to hide his face because no one can see God and live because your face will melt as Raiders of the Lost Ark taught us. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but the idea, but, but he was saying for the first time I'd heard this, but it's evidently there is, a, there is scholarship on this, that actually the reason no one could look at God and live is because no one could see that much pain in the face of oh, God right. and live. Interesting. Because God, God's fundamental essence is love and therefore God is in pain, as it were. Or it's just a totally mm. different way of thinking about the mm. divine. Anyway, so there's some kind of freedom going on here where you have to almost let it go. Now, what we want, mm. what I'd want to say about that is, it's not the the absentee God. That's the point. Mm. It's not that God has just started this thing off and then gone away. No, no, like I agree. That's a very unsatisfying uh, view. To the whole thing yeah. is an expression of creativity, an expression of the Creator's love, and yeah. and he's he, she, it, them. They are yeah. still around to be yes. responded to yes. and, and, and to elicit a response. But that doesn't mean that everything that happens in terms of creation is controlled in that sense. No. By no. God. I agree. I completely agree with you, unfortunately, because it's not as much fun as disagreeing <laughs> with you. Um, so, he, so John V. Taylor talks about a, a Jewish mystic, a guy called uh, Isaac Luria. I've never heard of him mm. in my life. And and what's interesting is he's he's covering the same kind of ground that we were talking about. So Luria apparently started with the question about, um, you know, nothing. Why does anything come from nothing kind of stuff? 
Mm. Um, but instead of asking why there's anything at all rather than just nothing, Luria pushed the question, as it were, further back still. How can God create a world out of nothing when there is no nothing, God being omnipresent? Which is what we yeah, were talking yeah. about yeah, last, yeah, yeah, yeah. last week. Yeah. Since, since God is all in all, all there is, how can there be any place for what is not God? And um, this is uh, this is what John Vitale writes. He says, Luria's full answer was complicated and more than a little fanciful. But basic to it was the doctrine of Simpsum. Simpsum? Oh. It's a great programme, isn't it? Uh, is the it? Simpsons. Um, <laughs> no, it's so, Simpsum. Do you want to spell, spell it? Yeah. Yeah, T-S-I-M-T-S-U-M. I imagine it's Hebrew. Or right. it means contraction. And according to him, God makes room for a world of beings that are other than God by an inward self-withdrawal, abandoning a space within himself um, and leaving a kind of sort of non-God area, basically, within which God can let be some other which is not God. So God has God has made a space within God's self yes. that is sort of devoid, but where creativity and a creation well, it, can happen, I think can it's evolve. Maybe it's like, I mean, you know, it's a complicated thing. Maybe it's a space, it's a space that, where he allows his himself, as it were, not to be in control completely. Right. Okay. Does okay. that make any sense? I, I can see how he is trying to bring these things that we've been talking about together. Yeah. Mm. So there's um, the potential for evil and for things to go wrong now in a way yeah. that there wasn't before. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another quote here from um, Jürgen Moltmann who picks up, I guess, on this, other, mm. this idea of Simpson. And he says... Has God not therefore created the world, quotes, in himself, giving it time in his eternity, finitude in his infinity, space in his omnipresence, and freedom in his selfless love? It's difficult to get an mm. analogy for it. But really the sort of fundamental idea behind it is that in order to really love somebody, you have to allow them their own existence. Mm. In space, yeah. And you, and in order to, for God to do that, that's why you can't control everything. You mm. can't uh, mm. micromanage. You can't take away uh, the pain and the uh, and and that kind of stuff because that is part mm. of what it means to be alive. And there's lots of knock-ons from this. Some really sort of um, mm. interesting ones about how how you know that that's partly why Jesus, by the incarnation, is so important. It's because again, God is not distancing Himself. From this, and he wants to come and say, "I understand mm. what you're going through. I know what it's like." Yeah, I'm. I'm just wondering if there's a parallel between this and 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 doing contemplative prayer ourselves. It's like we create a space within ourselves that is is us, but is yes. also vacant, as it were. Very do, you know, good. do you know what I mean? So it and can so, go the other way in yeah, a way. It could do. Yeah. We're we're sort of acting in a in a in, in a reverse kind of direction yes, and doing exactly. the same as God's doing. Yeah, because I I think that sometimes once we sort of empty, did you know, just become aware of all the sort of crazy thoughts we have, and also let go of the sort of aches and pains and the normal distractions we encounter, and allow ourselves to be. I think that's that's creating a space where we can actually connect. Mm. So for me, it's, it's this idea is once you sort of recalibrate what it means to love slightly and you see it as bigger than just mm. want to protect the person from from what happens to you. Because actually, mm. when you think about children, of course, our natural instinct is to want to protect our children mm. from, yeah. from pain and, and all this kind of stuff. But actually, 
if we're going down that route, then we keep them locked up all our lives. You know, we don't yeah, exactly. actually ever yeah, let them yeah, out. No, they never, yeah. they never get to to grow because we don't release them. So God has yeah. kind of released uh, creation, I think, in this sense. I I need to think about this so much more than <laughs> than a podcast time allows us to think. Yes, I, know, I, I agree big, that love love starts this creation off. Love is the destiny to which this creation is heading, and love is somehow present within this creation, even with all the dark stuff mm. that goes with it. So, mm. I mean, that would be my simplified way of saying some of that stuff. Again, yes, that's. I think that's exactly right. Um, so I think the basis of this idea, which, again, I, I need to think through a heck of a lot more, but it mm. is that by giving us freedom, God intentionally and deliberately limits himself to some degree. Yes. And also, I think that sort of ties in with Genesis, where sort of the God, the God figure in Genesis gives us the responsibility Absolutely. for creation, you know, to look, yeah. o- to look after it, to guard it. To that, reflect. That's absolutely yeah. the case. You know, mm. that, that um, you know, if if love is to a certain extent letting go, um, then, you know, he was prepared to let Adam and Eve go, even if it meant mm. them going yeah. out of paradise. That's what the story is all about. Yeah, God's yeah. love is that. Yeah. And and yet never giving up. I don't, for me, this kind of doesn't mean you need to see it as a created world in the the genesis depiction mm. or as, you know even as evolution the other way it's just mm. it's just it's a free place and the laws of freedom mm. come in and everything is free to act mm. within its own capacities yeah well i certainly agree with that yeah i think they're good things to ponder just because if god is love you know if that is the definition we're working with if that's the definition we're going we can fundamentally trust trust the universe and trust life because ultimately, everything is good. If that's the truth about God, God is love, then we're back to that Dallas Willard thing. Mm. Then we can live safely in this world, mm. whatever happens. There's just this bigger picture of what is going on. And what is going on is the freedom to, to be, to be who we are mm. with all that that entails and all the, the ways we get that wrong, but also all the ways sometimes we get that joyously right. Mm. Um, mm. Anyway, well, look, we we need to ground this and we need to make it practical. Okay, soon. let me let me give one more quote. I'm sorry, the the book is um, the Christ Like God, uh, and that it's uh, it's I thoroughly recommend it. Mm. But it is hard work, and I know this might not have been the easiest mm. listening podcast. Um, but heck, we're in lockdown. We've got a lot of time to think about these things. Um, mm. I just one more quote from 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 uh, John V. Taylor. He says this: Though God knows His own purpose and the hoped-for outcome as we cannot, the same God also feels more keenly than ever we can do the every incidental agony along the way, each frustration of his will for life and fulfilment, and gives himself to us in fortitude and, yes, in joy, asking, what shall we make of this? And I yeah. think that gave me hope, because the idea is whatever we think about creation, whatever was going on, whatever, we, God is always there alongside us asking us that question, what shall we make of this mm. together? How can we co-create together? Yeah. yeah. What What mm. do you think about it? What do you mm. draw from this? How do you? Mm. What? And I think that's a great thing to think about in terms of nature. You know, every time mm. you have those feelings, what do I make of this? Why am mm. I feeling this way? What is this showing me? Um, that I think is how God is really present in creation. It's not that He's mm. 
pulling all the strings, mm. but he's asking all the time for a response. Brilliant. Well, look, let's let's leave it there. And also, you know, if God is love and we know that love is patient and love is kind, then let's enter into lockdown together with with patience and kindness mm. as our yes. goal. And, you know, extend that firstly of all. Don't feel selfish about this to yourself. Extend patience and kindness to yourself. And from that place, you know, then distribute it to others and know mm. that you're in doing that you're sort of sharing in the creative work of god because that's the nature of god is that is that okay that sounds great and can we end mm. with a bit of lovely hope and optimism oh, yeah. with, with your mum oh, yeah. so you <laughs> sent me this little song that she sang and it's just so lovely she she's behind perspex and behind a ppe mask so it's a bit muffled it's lovely. My mum is great. She's nearly 95. So, you know. She and set so the not... context here. You were talking to her and she was she was singing. A, she sings a song that. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that her father wrote and taught right. her when she was a child. But she still remembers. I mean, this is my mum all over. She remembers every song that she's ever yeah. sung or been taught and every strange, odd, spurious ditty. And she comes out with them quite randomly sometimes. So as I was leaving her, I said, have you got anything else to say? And this is what she came up with. <laughs> oh, it's great. And uh, I think this is a really good message to end on. <laughs> Thanks. See you next week. This is a song that my father wrote um, during the Depression in the uh, 1930s, uh, not, not long before the Second World War started. And it's about smiling because he was put in charge of a place called the Junior Instruction Centre where he tried to sort out jobs for youngsters. Are you ready for this? Yeah. <coughs> Hold on to your hats. Try smiling, just smiling. It's the only thing that's left for you to do. Try smiling, just smiling. And try to keep a sunny point of view. You think at last you found a job, you find it's all in vain. It seems somehow to get you down, it's driving you insane. But be a man, lift up your head, stick out your chest again. Try smiling, just smiling. <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs>